Welcome to the Consumer Connections podcast powered by Scylla. I'm James Pikeway. I'm Fessel Khan. And in this podcast episode, we will be discussing market research and keeping up with consumer trends. Faisal, who do we have joining us on this episode? So we've got Ahmed Abdul Hamid. Uh, he's been in the industry for almost two decades now. For the last year, he's been leading uh, insights for one of the most trusted brands in Kuwait, which has influence across GCC. Uh, Ahmed and I go way long back uh, for about 10 years. We've worked a lot together and quite excited to have him here. Welcome, Ahmed. Thank you. Thank you, Faisal. Thank you, James. He's one of the most you know, hands-on researchers I've known. Very close to consumers, very close to data. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that's a good thing. I usually hear that in that context. <laughs> you know, Ahmed, you're, you're perfectly placed to help us understand a little bit more about Kuwait and Kuwaiti consumers and insights that are coming out of Kuwait, because for the most part, when I think about Arab countries, Kuwait doesn't really fit in. We tend, I mean, it doesn't fit in, it doesn't come into the conversation. When we talk about market research and consumer insights, we tend to talk about the, the you know, the typical places, Saudi, Lebanon, Egypt. Uh, how, how do you see Kuwait comparing to these countries? And can you contrast and compare how we how we deal with the insights from coming out of Kuwait. So uh, let me just tell you that before I, I came to Kuwait, um, we used to refer to Kuwait as a rollout market. So whatever you do in, in Saudi and UAE is basically what you would do in Kuwait without actually having to study the Kuwaiti market and see if it works or not. Um, however, Kuwait is the second highest uh, GDP per capita uh, in the world. It's, it's a very rich nation. Um, it's rich not just uh, because of money, it's rich in culture as well. And when I joined um, uh, the research field in, in Kuwait, I was surprised because, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, again, it's, a, it's what we used to call that rollout market. What you do in bigger markets, you do here automatically, right? But when you come here and you understand that it's a completely different culture, completely very rich culture, by the way, um, that takes years and years to understand and study. So um, it is a small market, yet it's very lucrative for brands, and it's very rich. Um, you can get a lot of insights that you would never, ever think you would get out of Kuwait, such a small country. If Kuwait was a role, if we, we think of Kuwait as a rollout market and just kind of blanket it with what's done everywhere else, describe to me the Kuwaiti consumer. What makes them different? Can you, can you be more specific? So, okay, let's talk. I think we need to talk globalization first. So uh, you will find that Kuwaiti consumers are uh, impacted one way or another by globalization. So um, you will see the same consumer persona in Kuwait, in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, all over MENA, and they'll be influenced typically by the Western uh, uh, civilization, so to speak. Um, yet they have very distinctive, um, uh, uh, what do you call, traits. And um, let me give you an example. So, and this, this makes research quite a challenge, yet very interesting. My very first study in Kuwait, I was surprised that no one really recalls brands, right? They don't recall names. I'm like, how am I, how am I going to do research here if no one recalls names? Like, how am I going to do this, right? Because they typically refer to products by pack color, where they might call it something completely different. 
So um, they would tell you the red pack from this brand or the yellow pack from this brand. Um, but when you come and ask them, like, do you know this brand? I don't. Right. So they might refer to it as the, let's say, yellow thick cream product. They know it's from a trusted brand, but they don't know what the brand is. Now, I'm not saying that all consumers are like that, but we find a huge chunk of the population actually referring to products by pack type, uh, sorry, by pack color rather than brand name itself. Um, this, this was very interesting to me. And then once you dive into the psyche of the consumer, you get to really understand where it's different. So um, I can tell you for sure that consumers here are extremely, um, let's call them well-behaved. You never show them a concept and they'll tell you, no, this is, I'm sorry, this is absolute uh, garbage, right? You can't sell me this. They'll tell you it's nice, right? Whether they buy it or not, it's a completely different story, which makes it a big challenge for us as well. Um, to be able for you to decipher what consumers really mean in the market is a huge challenge. Um, and that's what we also call in research overclaim, right? So um, typically in Europe, this overclaim is actually an underclaim. So people wouldn't rate your product highly, right? As much as they would love to. Um, and that is because they're actually more accustomed to saying what they think. You know, there's this aspect of the culture that is there. But in Kuwait, typically, it is frowned upon if you say something bad, right, about someone, a product, EDC. So what you get is an overclaim. And uh, this, this makes it challenging. Um, and I've seen overclaim in Egypt. I've done research in maybe 15 other markets. Overclaim is there, but it's not as big as here, to be honest. Um, Another thing that makes it very distinctive here is consumers um, seek social conformity, so to speak. Um, it's a very, very important aspect um, for your product to get adopted in the market. Um, they value local brands, like I haven't seen before, honestly. Like I would, I would see concepts like you know, farm uh, to table you know, locally grown, all that stuff. But they do actually cherish local brands more than any other market I've worked in, um, which makes them quite distinct. And, uh, you know, it's just a completely different culture than what I've seen in other markets. Um, and you might think that, you know, research you do here is the same research you'll do everywhere. But these specifics... Uh, make the consumer, the, the Kuwaiti consumer, uh, very distinctive to me. Honestly, this is a conversation that that Faisal and I have had over and over, and and others at Scylla, with the whole idea that we can't lump all of the Arab countries together because they're all very different. And this, what you're saying, just highlights the need to be able to understand different consumers in the context of where they actually are. What kind of strategies then do you end up employing in Kuwait so that you can be current and accurate in your understanding of this complex consumer behavior environment? So I think I completely agree with Ahmed. Uh, and this is, uh, unfortunately, it is an extremely common problem of referring to Arabs as one unit. 
uh, and using insights in, let's say, Saudi Arabia and UAE and just uh, kind of, like Ahmed said, rolling it out to other markets. But every country has a very unique culture. Ahmed's already spoken about the, the, the uniqueness of a Kuwaiti consumer, right, from how they respond to research to how they are as consumers to them just being polite. So it has a it has huge implications because what is likely to work in a Saudi just not necessarily can work in a Kuwait, you know, it, and that, and we've seen cases, we've seen cases and uh, Ahmed and I have worked in markets and done research where we initially did, let's say a one market study or two market study. And then we kind of decided to, you know, expand it and say, you know, let's, let's go across the different markets, whether that's, you know, UAE, Kuwait, Saudi, different markets, because the consumers are different. And as a proof of concept, we have seen those differences. What kind of research is needed to make your market viable? What kind of market research do you need to do? Can you, can you sort of paint that picture in what Faisal Anabo said? Let me answer Faisal first, because the risk runs high um when you don't understand the culture and what you're marketing to 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 people so um i always say you know an organization without research is an organization without eyes right because we've seen we've seen a lot of brands that have launched products with wrong names and these names would be inappropriate in a culture right when you treat kuwait as a raw market you're risking um uh, not really understanding if your product is it will be accepted, right? If it's as simple as not named correctly uh, or appropriately, if people do find a real need for it or not. Um, now, let me let me give you some uh, clear distinctions between Saudi and, and, and Kuwait, at least from where I stand. Um, you will see that in, in Kuwait, for example, over the past three years, the health um, healthy product shelves has tripled in in size, right? And uh, you might look at this and be like, okay, so any healthy product will work, right? When in fact, when you look closer at the shelf, it is actually two products that are, or two types of products that are selling well. One is low in sugar, and that is because it's one of the um, it's it's a nation that is extremely high in terms of di- diabetes rate uh, all over the world, and the second is protein, like high protein content, right? Products. Other than that, you can try to sell as much as you can. You will probably sell peanuts, and you would have spent a lot of money trying to sell, and you'll get peanuts, right? So, um, and when you dig deeper into this, some some stuff is obvious, like you know, a nation with a high rate of diabetes. Yeah, you can sell products that are low. But then when you come to, to protein, right, if you're a company that hasn't done its research, you probably think that's because, you know, people probably go to the gym and they want protein. So this is where I need to position or I, this is how I need to position my products on the market. When in fact, if you ask people what protein means and what implications it has on health, it has nothing to do with going to the gym. You will see that the average consumer is saying, I need to get my fair share of protein and minimum daily requirements, regardless of whether they go to the gym or not. It's been embedded and it's been um, sort of approved in society that protein is the most important macronutrient and you need to make sure you're getting enough of it every day, right? So um, 
again, you, you might run risks of, you know, spending money, a lot of money, trying to market uh, your product, thinking that it is the same as in Saudi, because we know that in Saudi, for example, that's not the case. Protein is mainly consumed by gym goers, right? So you might say, okay, I'm going to position my product to gym goers in Kuwait, and, you know, I'm going to sell. That's not the case. You're limiting yourself to a small niche in Kuwait when you could be selling to the, to to all of uh, of Kuwait to the total population. So um, it is important to understand um, each market separately, even if that means you have to spend because the cost of doing research will never ever be the cost of launching a product, logistics, all that stuff. It's always going to be low. It's always going to be penis compared to that. You know why I love you, right? <laughs> <laughs> so is is it because Kuwait is such a small country that people don't want to invest in those research dollars? Is is that is that at the end of the day, that's the problem? Yeah, I, I think uh, companies typically fall into this uh, pitfall, which is basically, you know, research is expensive. It takes time. Um, I think a lot of also companies know that doing research in Kuwait is extremely challenging. And um, I can tell you this for sure. Whatever, the, whatever, like let's say a, a research would take one month somewhere else, it could take me here up to three months to do. So no one wants to waste all this time. It's not just a, it's not just a factor of money. It's also the factor of time. Um, and so, yes, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you take it in relation to the amount of money you'd make out of a big uh, market like Saudi Arabia, like UAE, Kuwait is bound to be overlooked in terms of research. Just to add to Ahmed's point, sometimes the reason is not cost. It's just what we were originally talking about is that, hey, they're just similar to Saudis. And that blanket statement is extremely uh, annoyable, you know, because and it's, it's so wrong at many levels because it's just a perception that, you know, uh, so it's not even if there are budgets available, it's just, and it's not always, and it's like, like Ahmed said, uh, while he's calling it a small market from a volume or value share perspective, it's not necessarily small. There are some categories where it, you know, hands down beats uh, UAE or any other market in, in the region. And sometimes even Saudi uh, by sheer, uh, I mean, like, for example, I've worked on travel on the travel category and the average spends of a traveler of a Kuwaiti, someone who's you know outbound traveler from Kuwaiti, is way way higher than any other market. They're luxurious travelers; they spend money, and it's just and it's just more about this perception that sits that you know they're very similar. And I think that needs to really uh, change uh, with time. Ahmed, you've been at this game for quite a while. How has your research evolved? Research is evolving quite slow in in Kuwait at a very slow rate. And I'll tell you why. It's, again, the challenges that you face doing research in Kuwait. Kuwait is a, locals are very affluent, right? And uh, with that comes the um, obstacle of getting them, incentivizing them to do research, right? to get in panels, to participate in groups, um, uh, even quantitative interviews. Um, and that has slowed down the adoption of, many new technologies um, in, in Kuwait. Um, again, why would someone spend time with you when they already have, they don't need your incentives? Right? And this 
has caused a lot of delay in terms of online panels, insights, communities, EDC, so to speak. Um, what I can tell you for sure since I joined is that I remember, I think the second year I came, mobile research was just What year is this, Ahmed? What year are we talking? When it was, I think it was 2015, 2016, something like that. That is, it's quite late, right? So, uh, and I can tell you till now, it hasn't, it's not been fully developed because people just look at that and be like, I didn't need to, you know, waste my time taking this uh, survey, right? So it has slowed the adoption of various and uh, numerous uh, methodologies that could help expedite research and make it much more time and cost efficient. Um, what I see is basically that has evolved is when I first came, it was pen and paper still, like literally pen and paper. And uh, now, you know, we've introduced different solutions where you literally get a live dashboard with every interview that you do. Um, so this this is something I take pride in um, in Kuwait. And, you know, I, I, I like to teach as, as many people as I go uh, along down that road. And I can tell you that a lot of agencies we work with and we don't work with starting adopting something like this. So um, it's, it's quite underdeveloped. You know, I get pressured by the, uh, organization I work for just need insights now, and I always say, "Man, I don't have a genie, you know, in the bottle. Like, I, I still have to ask someone. You know, give me that someone. I'll ask him." So ad adoption, adoption of uh, many, many uh, tools and solutions have been quite slow, and that's the nature of the market, unfortunately. Mm. So, it, is AI changing everything for you? I've I've always been an advocate of what I call passive insights, which is there's data lying around three, right? So um, we've always tried to find ways about leveraging this before AI comes into the picture. And this usually happened in the form of sentiment analysis, you know, um, trying to take a topic and manually uh, going after it for hours and hours, you know, recruiting like three, four people to work on one topic. And it's never going to be as efficient and uh, as um, strong as when a machine does it. Um, so we did what Faisal, uh, introduced to us manually before, and it never used to yield these types of results. And when Faisal approached us with this kind of AI powered research, I was like, finally, you know, something that will, uh, get us insights fast. And we've, we've used it a couple of times now and we know how strong it, it is, um, does not mean that it's going to replace traditional research at the moment because you still have to validate um, some insights. And that's the big that's the big fear a lot of people have is that we're we're when we're doing social listening when we're looking at social media and getting insights that this can and will replace our traditional media research. But that's just not the case. Maybe it will. Maybe it will not. I think it's too early to to say it for for sure if it will. Um, but I think maybe not before 10 years that it will completely replace uh, traditional research. Not, not before that. No way before that. And um, again, I think AI-powered research is going to save us a lot of money and it's going to save us a lot of time and it's going to help us get around a lot of challenges we face in doing research in Kuwait. 
but it's still not going to be able to answer specific questions which we need to go to consumers and ask them uh, about at this moment, at least in time. Um, yet I can tell you, we've used it uh, in identifying trends, for example. Uh, that is something, you know, it's a train. If it leaves the station, you'll never be able to tell if it's a trend or a fad. You need, to, for a trend to be able to say it's a trend, you need to work backwards, right? You need to have um, um, basically kept an eye on it for a while, tested it for a while with consumers to see if it's going up, going down. The beauty about AI-powered research is that you can always look backwards right? and predict the future at the same time with what you have. What I was really intrigued about was your insight into the Kuwaiti consumer and the fact that they might not actually be addressing brands by brand names, but by brand characteristics. Fuzzle, is is this something that your domain works very well at helping brands to sort out in the research of their products? Yes and no. So so what uh, Ahmed's saying, I think I completely uh, am aligned the fact that, uh, so, and James, you also mentioned that that uh, it's not going to replace traditional research. It's the analogy I give for, let's say, mass communication TV advertisements and let's say digital advertisements. They both serve a certain purpose in influencing people. Similarly, when it comes to research, consumer insights, consumer intelligence, both need to coexist. There is a certain role and certain kinds of study where you necessarily, I have these discussions and I suggest that this is an for this kind of a study, let's say you're doing a concept test, you're doing a communication test, you're doing an evaluation, let's say of a shopper behavior, these aspects, you should take a, a, a traditional approach where you need to do an exit interview, where you need to get a group of people and show them the concept, get them to taste the product. And then you've got consumer intelligence, which I think I loved what uh, the word Ahmed uh, used is passive insights. There's so much passive insights that are lying just there, you know. And they're just not being used. And the idea of AI-powered research is to pick on that. And uh, there are places where AI plays a role, like in trends where, or where you have a market where uh, you know product brands are not being mentioned, but product. Or for that matter, I'm just going back to something interesting that uh, Ahmed said is overclaiming. You know, when you're well, going yeah, to yeah. when you're going to a person, you if they're either in the Arab world where they're overclaiming or in Kuwait because they're just nice people and they cannot say anything bad or any other market where they're underclaiming uh, versus let's say AI powered allows you to actually get the uh, because it's often anonymous it and they don't really care about when giving a you know feedback online it's more naturally it's a more natural organic form of data so I think it addresses aspects like overclaiming and underclaiming also but yeah so so it's a balance you have to maintain and I'm sure it's a challenge for Ahmed because today's time while while he claims Kuwait is a slow market, but I don't know how he deals with this challenge and maybe he's a better person to respond because today he's probably got an option of qualitative research, doing focus group discussion, doing interviews, doing face-to-face -face interviews. And now I've just made his life miserable because I've also added, you know, AI-powered research as an option to him. So now I, I don't know how he does it, but but he has, let's say, five options of different methodologies and AI is one of them. This is the question, Ahmed. If you had unlimited budget, what would your mix of methodologies and, and approaches, what would they look like? I would honestly, if I had no budget limitations, I would work on establishing an online panel in Kuwait. That's number one. Where I include locals, where I would get... Uh, um, proper incentives, you know, to incentivize people. Because, again, I believe there are uh, 
traditional research doesn't have to be slow. Traditional research doesn't have to be uh, uh, doesn't have to take months and months to get uh, insights. Again, now research isn't about you know a research objective that I have to answer. Um, I think you can tell research companies are evolving into consultancies because now you have business needs and business needs with an ever changing market, like a very fast paced changing market. You cannot use the same uh, uh, methodologies and uh, you know approaches that you've been using um, 15, 20 years ago. It, it just doesn't work this way anymore. And then research becomes obsolete. So if I had no constraints, I would honestly use, I would remain to use qual and quant, but I would do it differently, completely different, where I can get overnight insights, honestly. Um, I, would, I would pour a lot more money into AI um, because there is lack of insights backwards, so to speak, so we can predict the future. And I would use AI for that specifically. And um, I, w- I, would do, uh, I would do a lot more of, um, you know, big data stuff, which is also a, a bit lagging in, in, in Kuwait, to be honest. You, you, you keep bringing up the need for authentic incentives for the Kuwaiti market. What, what, can you give us an example of what you think that might be or they might be? You know, one of the, one of the big names here, uh, I think it was every six months, they have a price of 1 million KD and that's $3 million. If you open a certain account and you don't need to have like a fortune in that uh, bank account, let's just say you need to have at least 50 KD, which is like $150. Um, so you got to go big in Kuwait, right? If you, if you want to make it, you got to go big in Kuwait. I, I do have a question, I mean, this is genuine curiosity because you talked about the, the challenge primarily lies with the local, the local Kuwaiti consumers just because they're not able to give time. How Generally, how active are Kuwaiti consumers, the locals, online in terms of just generally, whether that's social media or reviews or just online? They're active on, on uh, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram mainly. Um, you have the new progressive uh, youth; they're more active on Reddit. You know, um, yeah, uh, where basically they they, tr- they try to give their uh, five cents on on so many topics, not not just products. Uh, but I would say it's it it is a very active nation online. Where do you see things going? I I don't know if you know about this piece of news, but Google just signed a deal. I think it was worth uh, six hundred. Uh, million to it's going to open up in Kuwait basically and it's going to revolutionize uh, you know cloud services all that stuff so five years I think we'll see a quicker adoption rate than what we've seen in the past maybe nine years um, and I can tell you for sure that when I look at reviews a lot of people are opening up about saying what they think um, in terms of products, at least, um, than before. So if it was frowned on before, actually, you now have a few companies that I've opened in the past uh, few years that are all that is all about uh, consumer reviews to products and to brands. And um, they have a considerable base. So um, I think this culture of um, saying what you think, um, 
you know, reviewing brands will catch up eventually. So, so you're, you're optimistic. The future looks good is what you're saying to me. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I think it's, uh, it's a matter of time before they, they, they catch up to the rest uh, of the world. And I can tell you like neighboring countries against Saudi Arabia, UAE, um, you can use all these uh, in, innovative tools to, to capture insights and you know make it cost and time efficient. I don't see a reason why it wouldn't happen. Uh, my, my last thing I want to ask, Ahmed, is, is you're really an evangelist when it comes to doing research and applying it and using a variety of tools. Are your colleagues in country, and not just at your organization, but in country, the other folks who are doing the similar things to you, are, are they listening to you? Are they taking cue from you? Are you helping to motivate them and excite them? Or do they shake their head and say, there goes Ahmed again? <laughs> Some of them, yeah. But I think eventually they will come, to come around and say, yeah, you know, uh, we, we need to do th- things differently. Um, I could tell you that, you know, just like we work for with Faisal, Faisal is outside Kuwait. I've... We've extended our uh, uh, briefs outside of Kuwait. You know, Kuwait doesn't have a lot of research agencies. And you speak to any one of them, and they'll tell you about the challenges that they face here. But we keep pushing, right? I think there was a piece of news that someone just got arrested like two days ago because he was asking people about, like, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think? He was an interviewer. So I think this culture is catching up, right? And um, I can tell you for sure that some of the marketing managers and other organizations when they see focus groups happen this is you know we should do more of that we should do that yeah so i could tell you that yes my peers at the moment in, in different companies they see the value of this some of them are more fortunate like um research in kuwait usually boils down to customer satisfaction right and this is owned by banks and telcos. this is what the research uh, industry uh, thrives on in Kuwait. You don't get a lot of FMCG companies doing research in Kuwait. So this, I mean, you can easily push some uh, surveys to your um, customers, right? Where you ask them about uh, their opinions, you know, rate this, rate that. But where it's going to get really interesting is if the other FMCG companies, if other uh, companies in other domains start to um, realize the importance of research and do more of it. And that's when I think you will start to see things moving. Um, and, you know, new methodologies being adopted, new approaches uh, to research being adopted. So, um, yeah, I hope so. This is a great time to be in the field of market research and working in, in companies that are willing to put some money into that field. It's got to be exciting. Definitely. Definitely. Ahmed, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you, James. Thank you, Faisal. Thank you, Ahmed. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Consumer Connections podcast powered by Scylla, and we've been talking about market research and keeping up with consumer trends with Ahmed Abdel Hamid.